0: Well, good morning, New Hope. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good I'm Gary Post. If we haven't met yet, I'm the care pastor here at New Hope. If we have met, I'm still Gary Post. <laughs> <laughs> this morning, uh, it's, it's great to be with you today. Um, pinch hitting for Mark today, and um, we're going to be talking about Ruth and Boaz today. I, I love this story. Um, it's the closest thing to a Hallmark movie in the Bible, I think. Great story of uh, God's grace and uh, faithfulness uh, to people who, you know, who suffer great loss. And uh, it's a story of uh, tragedy and loss, of faithfulness and redemption, of love and of glimpses of God's providence, God's work in our lives as he works out his eternal purposes in in history and in our lives. Before we begin, let's, uh, let's go to God in prayer and ask him to empower this time together. Dear Father, we thank you for the story of Ruth that you've preserved for us in scripture. We thank you for the lessons we can learn from it. We thank you for your great faithfulness. We know that uh, life is difficult, Lord. It's, it's full of loss. We'll see that in Ruth's life and Naomi's life as well. But Lord, uh, we know that you're faithful that you have a purpose for us, that it's not random, and that uh, that you long you long uh, to have us trust you for your care for us. You told us we can cast all our care on you because you care for us. And so we pray that you'd empower this time together by your Holy Spirit. We know that nothing of any eternal significance will happen apart from your spirit here today. So we ask you to empower this time and, and impress the, the truth of your word on our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this story begins with three funerals, and it ends with a, a wedding and a, and a baby boy. We can relate to Ruth's story because we all suffer losses in life, all of us. And um, yes, there are joys, and, and, and there is happiness in life too, but we all suffer a series of losses over the course of our life. Life is difficult. Uh, life, life is hard. And so uh, God desires for us to learn how to trust Him through the difficult times of life, uh, regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in, regardless of our feelings at the time. Many times we have to learn how to differentiate between the reality of our feelings and and what God says is reality, don't we? And uh, learn to depend on what God says uh, uh, as opposed to our feelings. Well, we're going to be... Uh, Looking at the, we're going to be reading most of the book of Ruth together today. It's only four chapters. If you're interested in looking at it in the Bible in, in front of you there on the chair, it's um, page 199. That's the NASB. I'm going to be working out of the ESV, the English Standard Version here. In my Bible, it's, uh, it's 478. If it's neither one of those two numbers, then you're on your own. <laughs> you, you can find it right between Judges and 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. It's only a few pages. It's only four chapters. So um, we're going to begin by uh, looking at uh, just a few verses, and and, uh, it sets the stage for the rest of the the story. In the days when the judges ruled, this was in Israel, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. Say that three times fast. Uh, Elimelech. And the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah. The name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Now uh, the name Bethlehem as, as a city was, it means house of bread, but that wasn't the case when Elimelech moved his family to Moab. There was a famine. That's what caused him to uproot his family. Travel about 50 miles, depending on the route you took. It was a mountainous route and uh, very difficult to travel, but he walked his family about 50 miles, probably over 7 to 10 days to get to Moab in order to, to, to find food. And, and the deaths that we were just read about in uh, Moab of Elimelech and the, and the two sons, uh, those were life-changing uh, because that left uh, it, and Naomi and the, uh, the other two women in very precarious circumstances. Women in those days relied on their husbands and on their sons in, in order to, provide, to, to uh, provide for the family. And so uh, they were in danger in terms of their survival. Uh, well, with the death of, the, of those men. There was no safety net there. Well, Naomi determined to return to Bethlehem and, and tries to get her daughters-in-law to stay where they are. And we'll read about it in verses 6 through 14. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab because she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people, that is, in Bethlehem, and given them food. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Notice that uh, Naomi was bitter in verse 13. I'm going to read it again in the NIV here. She said, it is more bitter for me than for you. it's a little clearer it's a, It's more bitter for me than for you because the lord's hand has gone out against me. Notice that uh, Naomi's blaming God for the predicament she's in and, and and from the information in this in this story she's been bitter for some time toward god and and while it's it's easy to blame God when tragedy occurs in our lives, uh, h Norman Wright says that uh, losses, crises, and traumas are part of life. They should be anticipated and expected to occur. They, they are inevitable. There are inevitably painful losses and difficulties in each of our lives. And, and when we suffer the loss, uh, a major loss in our lives, uh, uh, say it's a, a divorce, the loss of a loved one through death, the loss of a spouse or a, a job loss, a life-threatening illness, a financial setback, some crushing disappointment, a serious accident. It, it's only human to, to question why, to ask God, why, why did this happen to me, or even to be angry with God for allowing this, that loss into our lives. And When you read the Psalms, you, you find that uh, David's constantly doing that, isn't it? He, he's always making a, a complaint, Lord, where are you? Don't you see what's happening to me? Come and save me. And the Psalms are, are full of that, making, making a letting God know what's going on in our lives. Loss is like that. It causes us to to question our fundamental beliefs about life. Who we are, who is God, what is his relationship to us, does he love us, does he really love us or not, is he still in control or not, all those big questions. And you know, at that time in in life, it's really important for the rest of us who can can, uh, listen, who can empathize and support and encourage to come around that one who's hurting with our our words and our prayers and our loving acts of kindness. The church is in a perfect position to do that. That's what God's intention is for the the, uh, church of Jesus Christ. And and also, uh, on the other side of it, it's important for us to learn to be understanding with those who are grieving, those who are in pain, uh, because very often uh, they'll lash out. Uh, They'll... Uh, say things that cause us to feel uncomfortable, and the the risk is that is that we'll be repelled by that, and we'll move away from them and leave them isolated. That's the worst possible thing. We need to be patient and understanding. We need to be emotionally present with them during that time. And the other thing that we can do uh, inadvertently sometimes is heap additional guilt and shame. Well, you shouldn't feel like that. You shouldn't talk like that. You shouldn't treat God like that. That's not helpful at that time. We need to listen. We need to empathize. We need to put our arm around them. We, we need to act in loving kindness toward them in a million small ways. We need to be there for them. It's that ministry of presence. And, I, and I'm, I'm saying this because many of you do that already so well. And I just wanted to say, great job, great job. There are many of you who, the love of Christ just comes out in you in the, in the way that you relate to people who are hurting. And that's exactly what should happen. It's part of that culture of care that we want to have here at New Hope. But notice that Naomi didn't have that. She was isolated, wasn't she? In her, in her grief and bitterness, she was alone. That's the worst thing that can happen after a, a great loss, to be isolated in, in grief. If, uh, if you're hurting right now and, and you need to know more about how to process that grief, how to go to God with that so that he can comfort you, we did a sermon uh, back in uh, October 25 of last year. It's called uh, Learning to Lament. Learning to Lament. And I'd encourage you to go back to that message. Print out the study notes because there's a lot of information in there. And, um, and I think that will be a, an encouragement to you. Moving on with our story, uh, we see Ruth's confession. of uh, This is one of the most magnificent confessions of uh, faithfulness and, uh, and trust in God in all of Scripture. And Naomi said to Ruth in verse 15, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. Notice, uh, in contrast to to, to Naomi's bitterness, uh, Ruth makes that bold statement of love and faithfulness and, and, and trust in the God of Israel. And, and notice uh, Ruth's devotion to caring for her mother-in-law and, and to her, her commitment to God. Ruth was leaving everything, Uh, her family, everything she ever knew was in Moab. Some some scholars have said that they think that this was that moment when when, uh, Ruth came to faith in in God, and and that was the moment of her conversion. I I tend to think that it happened over a a long period of time as uh, Naomi told her stories about the God of Israel and his faithfulness, that that she came to to faith in God, and she determined that she would trust the God of, of Israel. So, uh, in, instead of trusting in God's goodness and faithfulness, though, uh, Naomi was bitter, and uh, she focused on her bitterness. Notice the way that she responds to old friends when they arrive back in Bethlehem. Let's start reading at verse 19 again. So the two of them, that is Ruth and Naomi, uh, went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred. Remember, they hadn't been there in over Naomi hadn't been there in over 10 years. The whole st- town was stirred because of them, and the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Naomi, by the way, means pleasant. She said, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter, for the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Lord has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem. Get this, last sentence, uh, two things that indicate God's providence, that God's at work here. They came to Bethlehem, and they came at the time of the barley harvest. Those those are two important points. Instead of trusting God's goodness and uh, and His faithfulness, uh, uh, Naomi focused on her circumstances. Warren Wiersbe puts it this way, we can't control the circumstances of life, but we can control how we respond to them. That's what faith is all about, daring to believe that God is working everything for our good, even when we don't feel like it or see it happening. In everything, give thanks. From 1 Thessalonians 5.18, isn't always easy to obey, but obeying this command is the best antidote to a bitter and critical spirit. So you have those two evidences of God at work in the last sentence there. God needed Ruth and Naomi in Bethlehem. He needed them there at the start of the barley harvest. Those two things. Keep that in mind. And then uh, Ruth, of course, didn't didn't sit on her hands. Uh, Ruth was a woman of faith, but she was also a woman of action. And so uh, Scripture tells us that she took the initiative to act in faith and go out to the barley fields to to glean, to gather grain so that they could feed themselves. Uh, There was a provision for the poor in the Old Testament law that allowed uh, the poor to walk behind the reapers and and to glean what what grain they left behind. And that's what Ruth determined to do. Let's read about it beginning in chapter two. Uh, Note that the narrator here tells us about Boaz in the first verse. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Uh, We know that because we're the readers, and the narrator has told us that. But keep in mind that Ruth and Naomi didn't know that. She was just going out wherever she could gather grain. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. So she was just going out to find someone who would let her glean in the field behind the reapers. And Naomi said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come, happened to come, get that? Uh, God's at work again. Happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Moab said to his, his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she's the young Moabite woman who came back from Naomi, uh, who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. Then, and now this is unheard of. A wealthy landowner, the lord of the harvest, if you will, uh, wouldn't typically talk to a a young woman in the field and certainly not uh, to a a foreigner, someone who was a Moabite. But Boaz approached Ruth. He said, now listen, my daughter. That's a term of endearment. That says, uh, I want to treat you like one of my family. He he says... um, Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law... Since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Now he's going to bless her. He's actually going to bless her in the barley field. The Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. So not only did Ruth pick Boaz's field out of all the others, she also happened to be there at the precise time that Boaz visited that field from Bethlehem to check on it. And he he happened to notice her and and ask about her. More evidence that God is orchestrating events in each of the lives of the, the cast of characters here. It's a good place to make the observation that there, there are no coincidences in the life of a child of God. He orders the events of our lives. Weersby puts it this way. Again, we marvel at the overruling providence of God. The Lord led Ruth to the field of Boaz, then led Boaz to visit his field while Ruth was there. When we commit our lives to the Lord, what happens to us happens by way of appointment and not by accident. Ruth was still a poor widow and an alien, but God was about to create a new relationship that would completely alter her circumstances. Well, what do we learn about Boaz from this package, from this uh, passage? Well, the name Boaz means "in him is strength," so he was a strong man. He was dis- he was described as a, a relative of Elimelech and a worthy man. That's way, uh, that means that he was. Uh, considered, uh, He was well-respected. He was hardworking. He was successful. Uh, he was wealthy. And, uh, and we also see that he was kind, wasn't he? He was kind. He made it a point to personally encourage Ruth for her kindness to Naomi. He went out of his way to provide grain for her and for Naomi. Unheard of uh, for a wealthy landowner to approach and to help a, a young woman like that. He was an encourager. And, and one observation that uh, we can make here is that kindness attracts kindness, doesn't it? Kindness attracts kindness. What distinguished Ruth in the eyes of the townspeople from what Boaz said, and, and what distinguished Boaz to Ruth was again his kindness. Their kindness was a reflection of the, the love of God, uh, the character of Jesus Christ that, that came out through them and God's work in, his life, in, in their lives. John Piper puts it this way: Love is the evidence that we're born again. Uh, when I see people come to faith in Jesus Christ, one of the first things that changes is very often their demeanor. I had uh, <clears throat> many years ago. I had a, a truck driver that uh, came to Christ. He, he prided himself on being before he was saved on being one of the most obnoxious people around, picking fights with people, was very aggressive. He, a few months after he came to faith, he said to me, "Gary, uh, people tell me I'm becoming nicer." I, I said, uh, I said, that's what's supposed to happen. <laughs> that's the love of Christ. That's God changing you from the inside out. That's what's that's what, what's supposed to happen. So cl- kindness is attractive. Kindness pleases God. It's one of the fruits of the spirit, right? So Naomi's heart needed a needed a change. God knew that Na- Naomi needed an attitude adjustment. Let's read about that in in Ruth two verses seventeen through twenty three. So she, that is uh, Ruth, gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gained. That is, she separated it from the stems and uh, beat the, wheat, uh, the uh, barley grain from the, the chaff. It was about an ephah of barley. That would have been about two-thirds of a bushel, probably. She took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I worked is Boaz. Time stopped for Naomi for just a moment. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead. Naomi realized in a flash God is at work in this. He said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with these young young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. It was dangerous for uh, a young woman, especially for a, a foreigner, to be out in the fields alone. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother in law. Notice what Naomi said. Uh, you see, God, God, before God changes our circumstances many times, he, he wants to change our hearts. God wanted Naomi to know that He'd not abandon her in spite of her losses. Notice what Naomi said when she recognized that God was indeed at work to bless them. She said, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living, that is us, who are here, and the dead, the husbands they had left behind. In other words, Naomi finally recognized that, that God was at work to bless them abundantly. Well, what did Naomi mean when she called Boaz one of our redeemers? What's that all about? Well, one of the features that God had Moses right into the Old Testament law was something to protect the poor. Leviticus 25, if you're interested in more detail, that the whole concept of redeeming family property. God wanted the property to stay with the family over time because that was the, the source of their wealth. And so the redeeming was about buying back property that had been sold or, or mortgaged so that it could remain in the family as an inheritance. And the, the word redeem means to, to set free by paying a price. Elimelech had probably mortgaged his property, kind of like a home equity loan, uh, to get the money for a fresh start in, in Moab so they could eat. And, and when he died in Moab, the, uh, the rights to the property presumably passed to his son Malon. But then, of course, Malon died too. He did not leave an heir. So Naomi did not have the money to buy it back. Uh, she still had a right to redeem the land, but she did not have the resources to redeem it. But a, a kinsman redeemer, under the Old Testament law, a kinsman redeemer could buy the property back for her and thus keep it in Elimelech's family as a as an inheritance for them. And this is where it really gets interesting, because there's another provision in the Old Testament law that uh, that had to do with a widow. Ruth's husband uh, Malon, who would have inherited the property, obviously died in in Moab, leaving no male heir. So there was another provision in the Old Testament law in Deuteronomy 25 that allowed for the brother of a deceased husband to marry the widow for the purpose of producing a male heir who would carry on the family name and inherit the property. Apparently at this time in history, the Jewish Jewish custom was that these two provisions in the law were enacted together. So the bottom line was when the Redeemer bought back the property, marriage to the widow was part of the package as well. So the plot thickens, right? And Naomi hatches a plan. It was uh, customary at that time in history for Jewish parents to arrange the, the marriages of their children. And, and so Naomi quite naturally took on that role Let's read about it in uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, that is Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Um, The NIV renders it a little bit more clearly for our purposes. She says, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you'll be well provided for. And Ruth and Naomi were in a desperate situation here. Their survival was in jeopardy without a redeemer. So, uh, moving on in ch- uh, verse 2, chapter 3, is not Boaz a relative with whose young women you were? See, he's winnowing barley. He's processing barley tonight on the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. Put on your cloak, go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. There's nothing inappropriate here about what Naomi asked Ruth to do. She was coaching her as to how best she could present her request for redemption to Boaz, to be her redeemer. And and notice, too, that the the ESV here says uh, uh, she puts on a cloak, Uh, But the the NIV version and the NASB both say she puts on her best clothes. Every woman of the time would have had a best dress uh, that she preserved for special occasions. And so uh, Ruth uh, washed, she put on her perfume, and uh, she dressed in her best dress, and then the cloak probably would have gone on over everything else because, after all, that was part of her disguise, right? She didn't want Boaz to see her right away until the time was right. And, and notice also, too, that uh, the outcome of this request for redemption was not automatic. Uh, Boaz, a redemption had to be requested, first of all. It didn't occur automatically. And, and uh, Boaz could still refuse and could send, uh, could send Ruth to another redeemer. So there was nothing certain about this. Three qualifications for a redeemer. Number one, they have to be a kinsman. They have to be a blood relative of the, the uh, person who's requesting redemption then the the Redeemer must have the ability. In other words, they must have the the resources to be able to to buy the property back. And thirdly, the the Redeemer must be willing to redeem. They have to want to do it. And and redeeming, again, is to set free by paying a price. Notice the parallel to our own redemption. Notice how this is a picture of, of how Christ has redeemed us. Did you ever think about the fact Christ had to be a human being in order to be our kinsman redeemer. There had to be a, a blood connection. Uh, he had to be human in order to be able to redeem us, in order to be our kinsman redeemer. And, and it, was enough, it was not enough for Ruth just to know uh, about the redeemer. She had to ask for redemption, didn't she? In the same way, it's not enough to simply know that God sent Jesus Christ as an historical person into the world to be the Savior. We have to ask him to redeem us. We have to ask him to pay that price, to cover our sins with his blood, to set us free from sin and death. The Apostle John says, but to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And and again in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, for you were bought with a price. The price was Christ's blood, wasn't it? We were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Well, let's get to the marriage proposal on the threshing floor. Uh, this is really one of those hallmark moments, isn't it? You can feel the tension building. In, in, ch- in uh, chapter 3, verse 6, so Ruth went down to the threshing floor, did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And, after, and when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? Keep in mind, there weren't any night lights. It was dark. He said, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Think where you heard that last. Back in chapter two, remember? He said, the the Lord spread his wings over you. He said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. That's a term of affection and endearment. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now that it, it is true that I am a redeemer, and here's the fly in the ointment, isn't it? Yet there is a a Redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, let him do so. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, he calls the Lord to be his witness, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. She left, in other words, before dawn. And he said... Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor, and he said, Bring the garment that you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her." Um, Some scholars suggest that that was as many as 60 60 pounds, 60 pounds of grain. Now Ruth was um, a very physical woman. She worked hard out in the field, so she was obviously very strong. It says he put it on her, and in that day she probably packaged it up in her cloak and put it on her head and carried it in in that way. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So when when Ruth asked Boaz to spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer, she was making the request for for a redemption. But but the wings could also be the corners of his cloak. So it had two meanings. It was uh, by spreading the corners of his cloak over her, uh, he became her protector and her provider, and uh, and un, under his wings, just as it says in Psalms that. The, that uh, we rest under the Lord's wings for his protection and provision. And this was the same symbolism that Boaz blessed Ruth with back in chapter 2. He said, the Lord repay you for what you've done. A full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz could not have known at that time that God was going to appoint him as her redeemer, her protector. So Boaz responded to her request by calling her my daughter. And, and, and partly that, that is a term of respect, a term of endearment that says uh, you're part of my family. And, and also it's, it signifies an age difference because Boaz was probably uh, closer to Naomi's age. He was probably 20 to 25 years older than what uh, Ruth was. And so he thanked her for her kindness. You can sense his excitement. Thank you for not going after a, a younger man which would have been logical. Here's a question for you. If Boaz was 20-plus years older than than Ruth, why had he never married? Uh, Many times uh, young men married before they were out of their teenage years in these times. He never married. Well, here's an insight. This this may be the reason. Boaz was a son of his father, Solomon, whose wife was Rahab. Rahab, you may remember, was the Canaanite uh, prostitute uh, who saved the Israeli spies when they came to spy out Jericho. And in exchange, uh, her life was saved, her and her family. They were assimilated, they were saved when Jericho fell. Uh, They saved out uh, Rahab and and her family, and they came into Israel. They were assimilated into Israeli culture. And so uh, it's very likely in, in my view, it's very likely uh, when uh, you think about how marriage occurred, Jewish fathers would select from among available young men in the village uh, a suitable a suitable uh, partner for their, their daughter. But it would be understandable if those fathers uh, who had a choice between all the young men in Bethlehem, if they had a, a choice, they would pass over Boaz as the half-breed son of a a Canaanite prostitute in favor of a, a nice Jewish boy without all the baggage. And so we can imagine Boaz longing to have a wife and a, and a family, crying out to God over the years, why is there no one for me, Lord? He was faithfully waiting on God's timing. Perhaps some of you are there now as well. We, we, we can see Boaz's excitement and, and gratitude to be asked to marry this beautiful young woman. He says, as the Lord lives, I'll do all that you ask. And it's worth knowing that, uh, that Ruth was kind of an outcast in this culture herself. Uh, she was poor, a widow. She was a Moabite. Uh, there had, had historically been antagonism between uh, Israel and, and uh, Moab. And she'd been married to another man for 10 years without being able to produce a child. So not the kind of woman, probably, that a, a typical Jewish boy would wanna bring home for Sunday dinner. But even though Ruth and Boaz might not have been everyone's first choice, they were God's first choice. And in God's plan, they became the answers to each other's prayers because of their trust in God. Notice also that uh, Boaz is concerned for the the honor of Ruth and the the welfare of Naomi. He had Ruth rise before daybreak so that uh, her reputation wouldn't be impugned by her presence there. He made it clear that nothing was to be said about her. He didn't want her to become the subject of town gossip, and he didn't want to impair his own integrity in the transaction that was going to take place with this other kinsman redeemer. So Boaz gave Ruth those six measures of grain as a, as a good faith symbol of his intention to take care of Ruth and Naomi. But you know, there's, a, there's that fly in the ointment. There's the other kinsman redeemer. At, at, every, every, at, at this point in a Hallmark movie, it, you know, it just, just as it looks like the hero and heroine are, are, are going to become romantically involved, there's a plot twist, right? And, and suddenly everything uh, is, is thrown into question. And that's what happened here as well. Uh, Boaz acknowledged that there's another re- redeemer who's a closer kinsman whom he would have to defer to. He had first right. And if he agreed to redeem her, Ruth would have to marry the other man. Ruth reported back to Na- Naomi and they, they waited while the suspense continued to build. You can only imagine. But Boaz uh, went to the gate. He was the the Redeemer at the gate. He was a businessman, and he was taking care of business. So Boaz wasted no time in setting up a meeting. Let's read about it in chapter 4, 1 through 13. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. Imagine that. What a coincidence. Uh, The Redeemer just happens to walk by when Boaz sits down. So Boaz said, turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. The gate was where they typically resolve legal matters like this. So they sat down. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you. Notice his casual pitch. So I thought I would tell you about it. And... And say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. And and I come and and if you will not, tell me that I may know for there is no one besides you to redeem it and I come after you. And immediately he said, I will redeem it. Well, you can imagine uh, uh, Boaz's heart must have uh, sank momentarily. But Boaz wasn't finished yet. God wasn't finished yet. And and so Boaz played his ace. He said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, 'I, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. You want to say, well played, Boaz, well played. You see, uh, uh, if this other man, uh, this other man said, uh, it would impair my own inheritance. I think what he was really thinking was uh, what his wife would say when he went home. And she might say, you did what? You agreed to what? And, and, and what do you mean a Moabite widow comes with it? Uh, I don't don't think she would have been pleased. So he said it it had to do with his inheritance. I really wonder if it had to do do more with what his his wife might say. Now it was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was a manner of attesting or confirming a deal, finalizing a deal in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, Your witness is this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilean and Melon. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead and in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people were at the gate, and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephratah and be renowned in Bethlehem, and may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you because of this woman." So the other kinsman concedes. He finalizes the transaction by taking off his sandal for Boaz. And next, Boaz marries Ruth. The next few verses, 13 through 17. So so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Don't, Don't lose the significance of that. She had been with her husband in Moab for 10 years and had not been able to conceive a son. Uh, she gets married to Boaz, and, and right away, uh, she uh, conceives a son. It says God gave her that ability to conceive a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life, and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. Uh, Grandma Naomi, right? And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. That is David, the greatest king of Israel. Obed means servant of God. So what can we learn from the life of Ruth? First of all, that God is always at work orchestrating the events of history and orchestrating the events of our individual lives to accomplish his eternal purpose. God's purpose uh, all the way through the Old Testament was to preserve Israel so that uh, Jesus Christ, uh, the Savior of the world, could be born uh, through Israel as a Jew from the line of David, uh, could be born into this world to become the Savior of the world. Notice the sequence of God's intervention, all the things that God arranged to make this happen in this story. First of all, he needed to, to, to move uh, Ruth and Naomi to Bethlehem so she could work in Boaz's field, so he could meet and encourage her, so Naomi could recognize Boaz as a redeemer, so Ruth could go to the threshing floor, so Boaz could wake up and find her there, so he could seek out the closer kinsmen, so that kinsman could refuse to redeem Ruth, so Boaz could redeem Ruth with the wealth that God had already blessed him with so that they could get married, so that they could have a son named Obed, so that he could become the grandfather of King David, so that they would all become ancestors of the son of David, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Warren Wiersbe comments on God's providence. He says, God's providential working in our lives is both a delight and a mystery. God is constantly working with us, in us, and for us, and accomplishing his gracious purposes. We pray, we seek his will, and we make decisions and sometimes mistakes. But it is God who orders events and guides his children. Secondly, we learn that God can use anyone to accomplish his purposes, and he has purposes for you and for me. Rahab was a Canaanite prostitute who trusted God enough to hide the Israeli spies before she became the mother of Boaz, and raised him to become the faithful man of God. Ruth was a poor, grieving, Moabite widow with no children and no prospects except for her unfailing faith in God and her faithfulness to her widowed mother-in-law, Naomi. Boaz was an aging half-breed farmer in Bethlehem who faithfully trusted God for a wife and a family, even though in, in human terms it never looked like it was going to happen. Naomi was a grieving widow and a mother far from home embittered against God by her grief and struggling from her very survival until God reached down, changed her heart, then changed her circumstances so she could finally see God as her loving Heavenly Father. You know, often in my office, I I talk with people as a counselor who are overwhelmed by difficult circumstances and, and discouraged with life. I remind them that God has not written the last chapter in your life yet. God still has purposes for you and me to accomplish. You know why I know that? Because we're still here. When our purposes have been finished, when God has accomplished all he intends through us, he'll take us home. And and so um, I know that we have purposes uh, for for each of us to accomplish. Finally, we have to trust God's promises as a reality. Too often, we, we trust our feelings. Um, we let feelings drive our, our actions and our thinking and, and our circumstances as well. We look to our circumstances rather than trusting God. Sometimes, like Naomi, we feel like God is distant, that he's abandoned us, but that's always a lie. God never abandons us. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. If, if you feel broken and discouraged, and far from God today, here here is a word to you from God himself. He says in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. If you feel far from God, he says, if you're crushed and brokenhearted, he says he's near to you. He says says that uh, I'm coming to rescue you. I'm coming to save you if you're crushed in spirit. He says, you can depend on my strength. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's the God whom we can depend on. He's the God who will come through for us. He is faithful. You can cast all your care on him because he cares for you. Let's pray, shall we? Dear Father, we thank you for this great story of Faithfulness of uh, the faithfulness of Ruth and uh, Boaz as well as your faithfulness, God, in orchestrating the events in their lives for your purposes and, and for your glory. And, and we pray that uh, you'd guide us, in, each of us, you'd guide us into your purposes for our lives, that uh, through your Holy Spirit's power, you'd make us sensitive to your leading and that uh, you'd encourage us, that you are for us that you're not distant from us, you haven't abandoned us, no matter what's happened in our lives, that you are for us and, and that uh, you, you delight in having us trust you uh, for what's next, even though we can't see the outcome from here. And we ask all these things, Lord, in the, in the powerful name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for your time together, uh, today. and You're dismissed. Have a great week.